Our Father in heaven, we praise you for having given us today, this day when we can gather as your people, the people that you rule over. Father, we, we praise you for your love that you have extended to us and that you've made it possible for us to be your people. We pray that you might grant us eyes to see and ears that will hear when, whenever we study your word, whenever we listen to it. Father, be with us. We freely acknowledge that we depend on you. It is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. What happens when everyone does what they think is right? What they think is best? What happens in, in families and, and in marriages when people handle life according to what they feel and what they think? If a society were tried to function by allowing everyone to do whatever they thought was best, what would be the result? Just because people might possess deep convictions does not make those feelings and thoughts reliable guides. Consider the lessons that we learn from the book of Judges. Stories abound. One of those stories is that there was a man who made a bargain with God that if God would grant him military victory, he would sacrifice whatever came through his doorway first. And his daughter came through the doorway. The book of Judges teaches us what happened. It does not tell us what should have happened or how God's people should have lived. It teaches us what did happen. There was a man named Micah. He lived in the hill country of Ephraim. He stole 1,100 pieces of silver from his mom. He heard his mom curse whoever took those silver pieces so he decided to confess and to return the, the stolen silver pieces. She decided to take 200 of those silver pieces and have them made into a metal image, a god. Micah made a shrine. He made an ephod. He made household gods. He even took one of his sons, not a Levite, to become priest for their household. And this story ends with the statement, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges 17 and verse 6. The book of Judges is filled with many stories of what people thought and what they did that in their eyes was the right thing to do. And the book closes with this sad statement, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. These stories remind us of Proverbs 14 and verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way that leads to death. When everyone does what he or she thinks is best, the community unravels. 
the book of Judges, one of the, its themes affirms the principle that people need godly guidance. So God has a better way. God has made us. God knows that people need guidance how to live their best lives. And so for Israel, he provided the means for a godly leader in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 15 to 20. But unfortunately, many of those kings failed in their God-given role. However, God already had a better plan, a plan for the future, a plan that envelops and impacts our lives. And this brings us to what I'm calling his story. So let's rewind history to about 500 years before Jesus was born. We find Daniel standing before a terrified king. King Nebuchadnezzar has had this dream, and he's envisioned this, this tall statue. It's composed of four different types of metal. And as he was looking at this giant, imposing statue, there's this rock that comes out of a mountain. It's not made by human hands, and this rock comes and it smashes the feet of this giant image, and, and this whole image then is destroyed and blows away. And then that rock begins to grow, and it fills the entire earth. Well, Daniel explained to Nebuchadnezzar, that God had revealed to him what was going to happen in the future. The statue represented four earthly kingdoms, starting with himself, the king of Babylon. And in the time of the fourth kingdom, that is, if we count through history, that would be the Roman Empire, we read, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel clarified what the stone not made by human hands meant. It signified that during the time of that fourth empire, Rome, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. In chapter 7, Daniel himself had a dream of four beasts. And he learned that these four beasts highlighted the four kingdoms in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And once again, the dominion of those kingdoms was taken away. But this time, we're told, one like a son of man ascended. Note that word, ascended. One like a son of man ascended in the clouds to the ancient of days. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And so it came to be that during the time of the Roman Empire, when Augustus Caesar ruled, that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, announcing the time had come. And the angel told Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and, and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Luke zeroes in and reminds us and teaches us that the angel who declared this message to Mary was Gabriel. And that draws our mind back to the only other time that Gabriel appears, and that's the book of Daniel and the messages in Daniel. And so it's after Jesus' birth that wise men traveled to Jerusalem asking, where is the one born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. And so that one who was born and wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger in, in the town of Bethlehem, the town where the prophet Micah had foretold the ruler would be born. That one grew, and when he became about 30 years of age, he began his ministry, and he taught the crowds about the coming kingdom that would soon be set up. He told them, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus would tell his listeners, Truly I tell you the truth. There are some standing here who will not experience death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Well, what would this kingdom be like? What is going to be the nature of this rule that God would set up? Well, like in Nebuchadnezzar's dream where a stone filled the earth, Jesus explained, to, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until all was leavened. Jesus would describe various aspects of the kingdom through, through different parables he said that the kingdom is like a master who hired some day laborers at the break of dawn and then again at nine o'clock in the morning and, and three in the afternoon and at five in the afternoon, he goes out and hires more day laborers. And when six o'clock comes, he begins to pay all of the workers the same wage. They all receive the same generous pay. Whether we live our entire lives for Christ or we come to Christ in our waning years, the same, the same generous inheritance awaits us all. God is gracious. Jesus explained what would happen when people would hear the, the message of the kingdom. He said it was like a, a sower who goes and takes seed and, and, and is sowing seed, and, and some of that seed falls on, on very hard ground. And the birds come and they take away that seed. Uh, other seed fell on, on rocky ground where it sprouts up quickly, but it, it withers, it has no root. Still other, other seed falls and grows, but, but there are thorns and thistles that grow up around it and it strangles it, and it never produces. And yet there's seed that falls on good ground. And the seed that falls on good ground comes up 
And that message of the kingdom produces a great harvest. He would go on to explain that the different soils represent how different hearts respond to God's word. Some don't understand it. They don't get it. And it's taken away from them. Others are excited about what they've heard, but they have no depth to them. They're just excited for a moment and then they go on to other things. There are those who begin, but they become distracted by all the cares and the trials of this this life that they're living and, and the seed never produces fruit in their life. And then there are others who hear and they understand and it goes deep into them and it comes up and it changes and they produce that fruit that the message of the kingdom is to do in the lives of people. Jesus would also teach how, how people, kingdom people would live. We look at all of his teachings and, and they're pointing us on how kingdom people live and, and we know those teachings well. To forgive and to pray for, for those that would misuse or, or treat us with spite. His ways are his kingdom ways are not natural ways. To, to love our enemies. He also illustrated how kingdom people live by telling a story about someone who came upon a field and, and discovered in that field a great treasure or, or an extremely expensive pearl. And this person, realizing just how valuable what they had found was, they, they gave everything. They, they used everything that they had in order to obtain it because they realized it was that valuable. So some people, when they hear what God is doing through Christ, they so value the kingdom, they so value Christ, that they deny themselves, they pick up their cross, they give everything to follow their Lord. Jesus would also go on and teach about who would be in the kingdom, who would enter this kingdom. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom does not belong to the the haughty, the the self-assured, the self-sufficient, who don't think they need anything else, but it belongs to those who deeply realize their dependence and need for God. It belongs to those who are sheep, who know that they need the good shepherd. When Jesus' disciples tried to protect Jesus' time and, and space by steering little children away from him, Jesus explained, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Young children are teachable. Parents teach young children about the way things are, and and little children embrace it and believe it. They believe what they're told. Jesus came upon a a man who was, he felt self-assured with his relationship with God because of his religious heritage and, and because of his religious leadership standing 
yet he was not one who was in Christ. And Jesus taught him, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He explained what he was talking about. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This last verse was the most frequently cited baptismal verse in the, right, in the first several centuries of the writings of the early Christians because it conveyed so clearly the need to respond. Well, Jesus lived and he taught and then on his timeline, on his schedule, his life and ministry came to an abrupt end. He was crucified as a criminal, though he had done nothing wrong. And three days later, God's power raised him up and exalted him. And according to Peter's sermon in, on Pentecost, the anticipation of a coming kingdom reached its fulfillment with Jesus' resurrection with his resurrection, Jesus was exalted to David's throne as Lord and Messiah. The risen Lord ascended to the Father to rule over his kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar's dream about the God of heaven setting up a kingdom during that time of that fourth empire was being fulfilled. As Peter would tell the Jews on Pentecost, Jesus' resurrection and ascension fulfilled the prophecy that the Messiah, the kingly Messiah, would ascend to God's right hand to rule. Peter proclaimed also at the, in that sermon that God had made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. Paul would later write, that Jesus' resurrection proclaimed with power that Christ was the Son of God, a term with kingly meaning. Paul would also write that Jesus must continue to reign until the end of time. He must reign until death itself is subjugated to him. And then he will take the kingdom and he will hand it over to the Father. And so this message about Christ and the kingdom began to be preached as these disciples went out, Acts 8, chapter, chapter 8 and verse 12, and they preached Christ in the kingdom. And as people listened to that message, they began to respond to Christ crucified and raised and ascended to heaven, whom God has made Lord and Savior. And God took those who were responding to this message out of a dominion of darkness, and he brought them into the kingdom of his Son, where there is redemption, where God is buying people back for himself. A purchased people forgiven. We have just briefly looked at a little of what it, scriptures teach about he reigns. What does it mean for our lives? It means many things. This morning, we're just going to look at three very, very briefly. First, because he reigns, we have hope. We have hope. Upon his resurrection, Jesus announced all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. He would go on to say to his disciples, I will be with you to the very end of the age. With that announcement and that promise, 
there's no antagonistic power or earthly society, things that can happen, situations, circumstances that can overthrow Christ or separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, he has the whole world in his hands. We're not doomed to that dystopian world that we see in the movies where the future is bleak and, and, and people are, are in either in tiny little tribes or are individuals and they're living out this horrible existence under this terrible situation and there's no hope. That's not the future. Everything is going to be all right because He rules and we are His and the Lord is with us. And regardless of whatever circumstances might be, there is a rich and rewarding inheritance awaiting us, not a meaningless grave as another number. Secondly, because he reigns, we choose to obey. We are not like those to whom Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and don't do what I say? We're not like those. No, we do not obey just because something works. We do not obey just because our bright ideas and what we have strong feelings about happen to agree with Him. No, we obey because He has purchased us with His blood. And He reigns, and we are His people. And because He reigns, we make disciples. Third application. After His resurrection, when Jesus told His disciples He'd been given all authority in heaven and on earth, He commanded, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So Paul's words are true that he wrote in Romans 8. Christ is the one who died, and more than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress, persecution or famine, or nakedness or danger or sword? No, none of these. No, we, we are more than conquerors in all of these things. You know, today, we have the opportunity, and we have taken the opportunity to bow our knee and to recognize Jesus is Lord. There will come a day when it will be too late, but every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I'd like to invite you today that if you have not considered making Jesus the Lord of your life, that you come and talk with the elders in the front or with myself while we stand and sing.